0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I am your host here, as always, Austin Peterson. Throwing you a bit of a curveball today. I'm coming to you live from Landon's office in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Landon's not even on the show, so uh, we're we're throwing a bit of a curveball. But uh, we're excited to have on the show today Dan Beck, co-founder and CEO of 401 Go. Before we jump in and talk to Dan and have Dan tell us his entire life story, I'm just going to take a quick second and explain what we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz. So if this is the first time that you're listening to our our uh, podcast. We are a small business radio program or podcast by small business owners for small business owners. And really, the reason we do this is that Landon and I truly believe that the small business owner is the backbone of the American economy. And we feel it's important that we give them an opportunity to tell their story and, and highlight them as best we can. Landon and I are both small business owners, but we're also members of families that are multi-generational small business owners, and we we truly believe in, in the small business owner and their community. So with that, we started this program in May of 2020. We're coming up on our 100th episode, and we're excited to have a true tycoon on the program today. Dan Beck, like I said, co-founder and CEO of 401
2: Go. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's uh, I'm glad to be here. And uh, I hope that the, the 401k talk didn't scare Landon away. So I know that <laughs> might bore a lot of people, but you guys are you're, you're financial advisors. So uh, you're, you're used to this stuff, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. We're, we're definitely investment professionals. And, and if anybody, any of the guests that we've had on the show, like I said, we're coming up on our 100th episode. If any of them understand all of the disclosures that are read before we start the program, <laughs> it's you.
2: Yes, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have to add one. I'm not uh, licensed with any you know securities licenses. So, but it probably is best if you know me to not take financial advice from me. So I'm I'm a little, uh, maybe a little bit much of a risk taker. I think that's why I, I make a good entrepreneur in many ways. Oh yeah, no, absolutely.
1: It definitely takes that to be to be an entrepreneur and and. Uh, you know, you you I know that you've got a partner and maybe he's the one who kind of keeps you grounded and, and uh you know puts the processes in place, et cetera. So we'll we'll definitely open that up and explore that as we jump through the program. But before yeah. we we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of 401 get, 401 go and what it is that you guys do, we typically have our our uh, guests tell us a little bit about themselves personally. So tell us, you know, where you grew up, what you studied in school. Do you have a family? Do you have any kids? You know, tell us what you'd like us to know about you personally.
2: Yeah, let's start with the family because I think that's uh, for me probably my biggest pride and joy. Um, I've got five kids, so that is that is an endeavor. Each one is an endeavor in and of itself. Um, anybody that's a parent, I'm sure, can agree. Um, and a very beautiful, loving, supportive wife that has uh, enabled me to pursue. Uh, my dream every every few years when it changes. So um, that's kind of where I am today. I grew up in uh, Utah. I'm still here in Utah. I love it. I love the outdoors. Um, I love uh, it's very family friendly. Um, it's a great uh, environment. So yeah, I live here. I've uh, you know I've been a serial entrepreneur really since my early 20s. Kind of my first career, if you will, um, was in uh, TV productions. So. I always dreamed of being a TV producer um, and uh, you know I ultimately was able to do that kind of in my twenties but at the same time i I went to school and was uh, i i've been to a number of different schools, probably half of them in Utah <laughs> by the time I finally graduated, like ten years later, I had enough credits I probably could have had a master 's degree. The problem is some of them were engineering, some of them were in broadcast journalism, some of them were uh, it was all over the board, and so ultimately I just went to um, an enrollment counselor at the University of Utah and said, hey, this is what I've got. What do you recommend? And and she's like, well, you'll probably get through the business department pretty quick because a lot of these, uh, you know, it fit well there. Uh, So I got a degree in business information systems. And it was more, you know, during the time I'd already launched a couple of businesses and had sold some. And so it was more just something I I love learning. And I think uh, the college environment is a great place for that and the structure and everything else. But really, I think that's what defines me as a person is that that curiosity that pushes me to try new things, to start businesses, to be a TV producer. I just love creating things and and you know putting them out into the world uh, and watching them grow. Um, I've had failures too. I, I tried a food truck. I'm not very good at food trucks. Um, and, you know that that lasted for a couple seasons or whatever. It was a lot of fun, um, but I'm not cut out for that. So. I think that's just the fun part of being an entrepreneur is being able to um to dream and to to pursue those dreams yeah i I agree with you hundred percent.
1: There are a couple of things you know in your personal background that stuck out to me that are either similar in my background or that have you know have a connection so it it also took me ten years to get my four year degree <laughs> yeah um, and and a, and a lot of that has to do with the same reasons as you. I started a couple of businesses while I was in college. And I had a family. I started, you know, relatively young. I got married just before I turned 22 years old. And we had our first child before I turned 24. And by the time we had that child, I was neck deep into this financial planning business and trying to build it from the ground up and, you know, just barely kind of making ends meet and, you know, sometimes living off of credit cards to be able to make ends meet and buy diapers and, you know, all those kinds of things. And so, you know, I, I certainly understand that. And then the, the other side of things that I would mention is you mentioned broadcast journalism. My my son is actually a sports journalism major at Arizona State right now. And, you know, we're big sports nuts and he he likes the journalism side of things as well. So that's, that's a pretty cool tie in.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy kind of the broadcast environment and there's a lot of creativity and it's fast paced and everything else. But, uh, ultimately, it just wasn't for me. You know, I, I prefer being on the kind of the other side of the lens, if you will, and being able to just have my hands involved in, in all aspects of production, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I feel like I've lived many lives already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I think, uh, obviously the whole setup you've got there with the studio, you know, speaks to the fact that you, you like to be on that side of the mic and I know you had a choice of of podcasts. It was either Joe Rogan or us, and it's there, you know why you would choose us. 100 percent I love small business. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Let, yeah, let's get into you know what exactly 401 Go is, right? I mean, most people that are listening, of course, have heard of a 401k plan. You and I and, and Landon, of course, understand them better. Landon and I are investment advisors for a couple handfuls of of 401k plans, you know, for our clients it's a It's a fairly large part of what we do, but I don't know that people truly understand necessarily what a 401 k plan is, how it came about, why it's here, why it's important. so you know tell us what you want us to tell about you know to introduce the 401k for those who may not be as familiar, but what about 401 k drew you to let's start this company
2: called 401 go yeah. A little background on 401k is it's it's basically a reference to tax code. So um, that right there is exciting in and of itself, and <laughs> and it gets quite complicated. It was something that uh, kind of certainly evolved. Um, I don't want to say a loophole because it was there for a purpose, but nobody in, imagined that it would be what it is today. Ultimately, it's a way to save um, a significant amount of your compensation for retirement, and there's a lot of tax benefits that are associated with it. And so because of that, with all the different tax benefits, there's a lot of rules that go along with it to make sure that it's being utilized the way that the IRS and the Department of Labor um, intend for it to be utilized. So my first experience with um, a 401k, I didn't have a lot of financial education growing up. That was one of the first courses I took in college. And I've been kind of a, a finance nerd since then. Um, I remember distinctly one day the advisor or the teacher bringing in some advisors to just talk to us about, you know, what the role of an advisor is for an individual. And I remember they probably didn't want to meet with a bunch of college students, the advisors, I guarantee it's not like we have money to be saving, but they did say, here's probably the best advice I can give you right now to start saving for retirement. And it was that very day I went home and I found a way to set aside $20 a month uh, towards retirement. Um, and that was really my first experience with investing and everything else. And that's the way that I see the 401k. Um, and I think that's what inspires us and gets me up every day is that I view it as less of like some big corporate benefit and more as a pathway to get young, um, oftentimes uh, lower paid uh, employees saving for retirement. Um, every you know, Our goal is to have every hardworking American ready for retirement. Um, And the 401k is probably the best way to do that. So the first time I set it up was one of my first businesses. I was writing checks to Uncle Sam that were honestly bigger um, than distribution checks. I was paying to myself. So I was reinvesting just about everything I possibly could back into the business. Um, And while that was income, I was being taxed on it, but it wasn't take-home pay. So I remember talking to my CPA. And at the time, I was maxing out an IRA. I was maxing out an HSA. And really the 401k was the next step. And so, uh, you know, to be perfectly clear, the, the very first time I tried to set something up, it was for me, it wasn't as much a benefit for my employees. I think I had maybe four employees at the time and, and they didn't really have any interest in it, but because of how complex it was, it was going to be time consuming, messy, expensive. And as a small business owner, I, I, needed, I didn't need any more uh, complexity or, or cost. And so I ultimately abandoned the idea. Several years later, I was you know, involved in a handful of other businesses, company had grown quite a bit. And kind of at that point, my focus was really, I was investing just about everything I possibly could into you know, one business endeavor or another. And so I wasn't really using even an IRA at that point, and, and, but I still wanted to set up something for uh, my team, just knowing that really the success that I enjoy is dependent on them and kind of that environment and having a positive culture. Um, so the second time I tried to set it up, it was truly for the benefit of um, everyone within the organization, and I kind of found the same thing. It was still just as messy, still complicated, and still expensive. Um, and so I abandoned it a second time, you know, about two weeks into the process, and just determined, okay, well, I guess the only way I'm going to be able to offer that benefit is if I have an HR person. And you know, a few years after that, I, I'd sold a few businesses to my brother, um, who is also, uh, you know, business partner. He's the grounded one. I'm the one with my head in the clouds. He's the one that uh, keeps me grounded and makes sure things happen. You know, we were kind of discussing our options and and really decided to focus on um, 401ks and making them accessible for small businesses. Uh, You know, about half of working Americans don't have access to a, a retirement plan. And that's oftentimes because they're working for a small business. And so we knew that if we wanted to, Kind of leverage the power of what a 401k could do in terms of inspiring somebody to get started on that road to retirement. The 401k was the best way to do it, and in order to do that, we had to close the accessibility gap for small businesses. So we built a, a tech platform um, by we I mean mostly my brother and you know a handful of engineers that is a full stack uh, 401k designed for small businesses. So we've really built something very transformational that hasn't happened in the retirement industry. And now we're in growth mode. This is the first time I've I've been involved in a company that's venture backed, and you know we go on the VC route, um, and you know the, the, and that's where that's how I got here today. Yeah,
1: no, I think it's it's a cool journey. So, when exactly did you guys launch initially?
2: So we started researching it in 2017. Um, we launched toward the end of 2018, um, and have since grown considerably. Last year, you know, I want to say it was about four um, X growth and Uh, we've just been growing very rapidly. We have everything from a solopreneur, you know, we have hundreds of those on the platform upwards of employers with 500 or more employees. So, um, there's been a lot of growth in the last year.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, obviously this is my industry. It's my bread and butter, so to speak. And I've been doing this for 22 years now. And, you know, I think one of the biggest frustrations that guys like me have, and I'm, I'm even on. I would say the older end of everybody that wants things to be more techn- technology based than they have in the in the past, right? Um, but it drives it, it drives me nuts because the the financial industry as a whole. So it it could be four hundred one ks, it can be investment platforms, it can be life insurance, you know, disability insurance, all that. The, the technology is pretty far behind a lot of the other. Stuff that's out there, right? You know, if it's frustrating for a guy like me, you know, Landon is about seven years younger than me. And so it's got to be even more frustrating for him and guys that are in our industry younger than that. But on the business owner side, they just want something easy and able to be set up. You know, you talked about it a couple of different times. You abandoned it yourself two different times in different companies that you owned and operated because it was too complex to set up. And administer going forward. So let's talk specifically about some of the things that, that your guys' platform does to make certain things easier than you know, the, the paper way, so to speak, or the or the classic
2: way of doing things. Yeah. So first and foremost, it's automation. And when we, you know, we spent about a year researching it, we looked at all the existing solutions. And so you know, when we're out having conversations with other, um, you know, record keepers, four hundred and one k providers, I'd say a good ninety percent of them are operating off of one hundred percent of them are operating off of some legacy system. Uh, Reliance is probably the biggest, and everybody's using that for something. And so the the challenge is we're going to be limited by that platform that we're sitting on top of, and we can make you know some of those user interactions digital, but if the back end administrative side of things um, can't be automated then we we can't reach the cost savings that we needed for a small business. So just to kind of explain that in context, it takes about eight weeks um, for a, a small to medium sized business to set up a 401k. And the reason why is because they're working with um, several different service providers and, and navigating the complexity of that, all the contracts, the fee schedules, everything else, um, it can get messy. and. To compare that, you can set up something on 401 Go um, in as little as ten minutes, uh, and it's it's fully automated. So the document creation, um, everything you know, uses e-signatures, and th- and that's the start. And throughout um, the ongoing administration, the user experience, rolling funds into the platform, um, every aspect of it is fully digital. I was shocked uh, this summer. I went to um, kind of a conference on um, uh, like a fintech conference. And somebody who was like the VP at Google's, um, I, I can't remember, banking side of the business was talking about how today it was less than 2% of transactions actually are fully automated from beginning to end, meaning that you know, 98% of everything that's happening at a banking or financial institution level, there's somebody has got to push a button, a spreadsheet that needs to be uploaded, a document that needs to be manually filled out. Those are the things that had cost. They also add, add compliance issues because when we're filling out paper forms, when there's a lot of manual data entry and everything else, then um, there's, a, there's a higher chance that there's gonna be a problem. Somebody you know, fat fingers a keystroke or um, transposes some numbers and you know, suddenly everything's out of whack and it's gonna take eight hours to get that fixed. With automation, with integrations, with payroll systems and everything else, we can really streamline that process. And so things that take weeks and days for the industry to, to do, are done in a matter of minutes. The only thing that's slowing things down is basically the human on the other side of the the app that um, is making those decisions. And it's our job to help make sure they're informed decisions. Um, and and that's where you know you bring up another, I think very critical uh, part of our vision and belief, and it's that technology can only do so much. When it comes to anything financially related, even you know younger individuals that are very comfortable, Using tech for just about everything, they still like the peace of mind of having somebody that they can talk to, somebody that they know, you know, human can understand their situation. And a lot of saving for retirement, it's more than just the, the mechanics of it, it's very behavioral. And so it's important that you have kind of that human element as well um, a financial advisor to, to coach those individuals as they navigate through retirement. And so that was probably the biggest challenge. Writing code that works with computers is pretty easy. It's documented. Uh, it's not hard to you know figure it out. There's one way that this thing needs to be done. But when you're working and building software that you know is, is fully automated but also needs to work with that human element, it's a much bigger challenge uh, because of you know, there's, there's just a lot more complexity that goes into it. And we want to make sure that we're getting the best of both worlds, that we're getting um, you know, the advisor doing what they do best. And that's sitting down, understanding, encouraging and working with clients and technology doing what it does. It's a bigger challenge than I initially uh, anticipated. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot to it. Like you said, I mean, the technology piece,
1: you know, for me as a, as a user on the investment advisor side or as a participant, right. Cause we've all been participants over the years or most of us have, you're looking for an experience that's easy, but the behavioral side that you mentioned is crucial. I mean, you know, there's, there's groups out there that'll tell you that we'll, we'll help you put together a portfolio and, you know, all that kind of thing. And you don't, you don't need an advisor to to do that. And for some people, maybe that's true if they'll do enough research, but where, where investors get, individual investors in their 401k and elsewhere, where they get in trouble, is they get emotional about certain things, right? The market's gone down pretty significantly over the last couple of weeks. And what happens is an individual investor that doesn't have advice from somebody who's viewing it logically or mathematically rather than emotionally watching the balance of their own 401k going down, they they tend to make an emotional decision, get scared and pull out of the market and then they wait until the market has rebounded significantly to go back in. Mm-hmm. So they they lose that upside, you know, potential. I mean Vanguard, one of the, you know, quote unquote do it yourselfers, they have they have, you know, advisors on staff as well, but they're one of the do it yourself, you know, groups out there. They put out a study every year and it shows over and over and over again that the individual investor without an advisor gets a 3% lower return on an annual yep. basis than one that works with an advisor. And it's
2: truly that behavioral side of things that you're mentioning. Yeah, and, and we see that in, in uh, and I think this is one thing that's exciting about what we're building is you you have an idea from the very beginning of we need to build a platform. We need to make it be high tech as well as high touch. But then after you know two, three years of running it, we can actually see user data that supports those initial um, ideas. And what we find is that on plans uh, on our platform that have an advisor involved, we're staying a 12 to 15%, depending on kind of what metrics you're looking at, higher participation rate. And so to us, that means that we're, you know, we're increasing the effectiveness of everybody that's that's saving for retirement, the effectiveness of that 401k, um, by having that, that human element. So, one hundred percent, it's critical, and you know, it's uh, peace of mind, um, coaching, stay the course. You know, these are all reasons that an advisor needs to be involved. You know, if you free the advisor up from kind of the the administrative minutia, well, guess what? They have more time to be working with uh, participants and helping them prepare for retirement. Yeah, yeah. From my
1: side, I think that's the that's the key, right? If, if I have to spend less time handling the administrative side of things because I'm filling out actual paperwork or paperwork's being filled out, but then I'm having to email it or I get it to my assistant and yeah. that sends it to, you know, it's just, it takes more time versus I can do an education meeting with the, with the participants and talk about whatever, some of the things that you just talked about, the importance of yeah. participating, putting more in, starting early, you know, not being emotional about your, about your investment decisions, not watching it every single day, mm-hmm. but realizing that this is money that you shouldn't even be touching until you're at least 59 and a half. And so this is, you know, this is a long-term investment. It, it's just the, the biggest key is really start early. Yes. And that, <laughs> that's huge. I remember when I first got into this business, I would carry a little card, excuse me, a little card around with me and it would show two different scenarios. One that was fully funding an IRA at the time. So when I started the max you could put into an IRA was $2,000 a year, Mm -hmm. right? Now it's 6,000, but, or 6,500. So, but they, I would show one person that would do $2,000 a year from the time that they were 18 to 30. And then they stopped, they got married, started having kids, whatever, couldn't afford to do it any longer versus somebody that waited until they were 30 Put the same two thousand dollars a year in, but they funded it for thirty five years from age thirty to sixty five when they retired. Mm-hmm. And the one that went from eighteen to
2: thirty for twelve years and stopped had more money at retirement. yep, yeah. it's that compounding interest. And I think that's the exciting thing. One of the first companies that we put on the platform was is a you know a, a warehouse business, and we had um, warehouse workers that were making you know twelve to fifteen dollars an hour. And multiple, uh, you know, several of them stopped by afterward just to say hi and check in. And um, a couple of them inquired about their 401k. And you know, when they see that, hey, it grew from $300, which doesn't seem like a lot, to $500, suddenly they're like, "I didn't have to do anything, and I now I'm now $200 richer." Um, Like that, it was a light bulb moment. And some of these, uh, I still see from time to time. And I've been, it's been interesting to see that they've really taken. Beyond just the four hundred and one k and interest into finance, uh, you know they're investing. They're trying to learn about markets. They know the difference between active and passive and and uh, ETF versus traditional mutual funds. And and this is all because of just that little um, simple, very you know real uh, lesson that came from seeing compounding interest in, at a personal level. Um, so I think that's the power of what we have, and that's why um, our vision is. Far broader than just 401k, because it's not enough to get somebody saving, but how do we continue that, especially with you know, employee turnover as high as it is? Um, you know, it balances voluntary turnover between 25 to 30% on an annual basis. So, you know, if someone's going to stick around for three, maybe four years and then change employers, there's a really good chance that their new employer won't have a 401k. So, this is an opportunity for us to help that individual keep saving for retirement. Because that's the goal. Like, even if it's, even if it's $20, um, just staying in the habit of doing it on a regular, consistent basis is going to make a world of difference. Yeah. I mean, I
1: think you really just spoke to one of the misconceptions about 401k plans in you know, the public in general is that they believe that it's just for the highly compensated or the wealthy, but it truly is a program that's meant for everybody, every yeah. employee to, to participate in.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting when we, this is something that kind of I discovered, I'd say the last year, um, just going through and kind of analyzing usage data and everything else. And I remember looking at um, some demographics, it's the lower quartile of age and wage. So these are, um, you know, the, the lower 25% when it comes to compensation, as well as age. And our participation wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. But then I started looking at the industry average and found the industry average is like 20%. And we're doing significantly better than that. And a lot of people say, well, it's because they're choosing not to save for retirement. That may be a part of it. But I also think that it's a failure on the industry's part that they're not making it more attractive to these individuals. They're not making it easier. They're not communicating it in, in the way that they... Uh, they're going to receive that message. And so for us, you know, one of those kind of internal brand promises we talk about is um, not your father's 401k. And I think about even just the sheer definition of retirement to somebody like my father and my mother is very different than the way I view it. And I talk to, you know, young, um, new professionals who have an even, you know, far different differing opinion on what retirement is. And in fact, we internally... Um, don't even use the term retirement. We, we talk about financial independence, because for some people, uh, you know, there's there's all these different movements and these ideas. I want to retire when I'm forty. There's others that say, "Look, I love what I do. I'm never going to retire." Um, neither of those scenarios fit the government's definition of retirement, and all the products that are designed to support that government definition of retirement is what we have access to now. And so we have to rethink just the sheer concept of what retirement means to our users. And then also how do we use these existing financial products like 401ks, HSAs, IRAs to help them get to that point. Uh, so that if their definition of retirement is at 40 and um, I'm going to modify my lifestyle heavily right now to be able to live, uh, you know, at, at 40 on um, basically get my money working for me instead of me working for my money, uh, there's, you know, we want to be a platform that supports that and enables that. Yeah, no, I, I think that
1: that's, that's crucial. The reality is it is looked at very differently by the millennial generation versus my generation versus my parents' generation. Everybody does look at it differently. And it's it. I find it interesting that you guys use financial independence because we use that with our own clients as well for mm-hmm. the same reason. It's everybody, some of our business owners is where we spend most of our time, obviously. Um, and many of them are like, I don't plan on retiring. All my friends are here at work. Why would I retire? Right. Like, yeah. I may want to travel more and work less, but I don't, I don't, I'm not going to just stop working and play golf every day, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of people view retirement, but it truly is about being financially independent and working because you choose to, not working
2: because you have to. Yep. Yep. 100%. Yeah.
1: So let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll hear a quick call to action, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about the exciting world of regu- regulatory changes that, are, that you believe are coming. And then I want to talk more about uh, you know, your past successes and failures, because I think that's where we learn the most as entrepreneurs. Sounds great. Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. We are here uh, with one of uh, the great tycoons of Small Biz out there, Dan Beck, founder and CEO of 401Go we've been talking about all things 401k we've we've hit on a couple of uh, other things you know about his background as well that we're going to follow up on here in just a second but um, specifically your target market with this is smaller businesses it's not that you don't yeah. have a platform that can handle larger businesses you mentioned some earlier that are on there that you know have 500 or, or more employees but your target market is that small business they're the ones who are, are typically not putting a 401k in place and so what do you see coming down the pike from a regulatory standpoint? And we've got all kinds of stuff that's in legislation right now going forward that can potentially impact small businesses in a negative or a positive way. So, you know, what what are you seeing that you believe is coming on the regulatory front?
2: Yeah, so it's, there's a lot of research that shows with a workplace retirement program. So, you know, most likely a 401k, if it's designed right, the you know those employees are fifteen times more likely to save for retirement through that program than on their own. Um that's huge. And you know the government, we all know, social security uh, has you know some some inherent flaws, uh, shall we say, And the likelihood of of me or my kids being able to utilize that to the extent that maybe we were promised or it was intended, it's just it's just not there. It, it likely won't happen. And so because of that, if the government can get more people, prepared on their own to kind of take a little bit more ownership in their financial independence, then that's that's a benefit for everybody. And so what we're seeing is, um, you know, California has some really good studies on this as well, is that somebody that enters retirement without significant, um, you know, th- that's not ready for it, ends up being, uh, you know, there's, there's some significant costs associated with that individual that are being borne by um, the, the local government and those taxpayers. And so it's that that concept of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The governments are seeing that. And so right now there are 14 states that that are in some stage of enacting legislation mandating that employers as small as five uh, employees will be required to offer something. To give you some perspective on how that, how quickly that's been changing um, you know i want to say it was about 2 years ago it was maybe only 7 and so 7 to 10 so it's been increasing uh, quite rapidly um, there's been discussions at the federal level of making this a federal mandate so let's you know talk about california what they have there is cal savers and these are all essentially you know kind of within the industry they call them secure choice programs um, and in california they have cal savers which as of june last year if you had more than 50 employees you would be required to offer some sort of a retirement program or opt into the state solution, which um, any business owner that I know uh, is gonna do everything that they can to avoid any state solution, anything associated with their business. And this year in June, that goes down to five uh, employees or more in California. So even if you have a business um, in uh, you know the Phoenix area and you've got five employees in California, guess what you now need to offer Um, something to at least those employees, but the way that 401Ks work, you would have to offer it to everybody in the organization. Um, So so what we're seeing is there's a lot of regulatory um, shift in, in the way that retirement program, very similar to what we saw with the Affordable Care Act, where the idea is, hey, small businesses aren't offering these benefits you find in larger organizations, how do we get them to do that? And so CalSavers is kind of their solution. And it's really nothing more than an auto-enrolled uh, IRA, and it's a it's a Roth IRA. And the idea is that basically all your employees are automatically enrolled in it. The employer has to submit payroll records and send money into the um, into the state's uh, program. And th- these employees, by doing nothing, will be saving for retirement. I, you know, I think it's good. Uh, me personally, I'm not a fan. Like I'm a big free market person. And I think that there's free market ways of kind of accomplishing the same thing. Um, and to California's credit, and I think even Oregon did the same thing, they tried going that route first. They said, okay, let's set up a marketplace uh, for these small businesses to go find these solutions. But the problem is the industry couldn't respond to that uh, proposition. They're, they're like, well, we don't, we don't really care about those businesses, unfortunately. Um, we don't have a solution. There's nothing we can sell you. And so California had to step in and do something, and, and that's Cal Savers. Um, so it is... It's it's difficult because of like personal views and everything else, but but there are benefits to these programs and they are having a positive fe- effect. And, and for us, we're benefiting from it because it's generating greater awareness in these states as well as states that are outside of it because, um, you know, the NFIB and a lot of these other small business organizations are talking about these more. And so more people are going, okay, when's my state going to be next and how can I make sure I'm prepared for this?
1: Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The reality is these these states and the federal government are seeing the negative consequences of people not saving for their own retirement, right? Because you yeah. know, 401ks came about when, when 401ks came about, most employees at the time had a pension, mm-hmm. right? That was being that was being provided to them. And so they were either contributing to it or not. It was being contributed to, you know, for them by the employer the costs were tremendous and there were all kinds of problems with them being underfunded and, you know, just lots of different problems. And so they've shifted to this personal responsibility. There wasn't a great rollout for both the employees and the business owners to understand really what that meant and what the personal responsibility is on that side to go ahead and fund that on your own, right? Because the social security system is just like a pension but the reality is it wasn't meant to fund anybody's retirement it was set up to be what they call longevity insurance for people who lived too long to be able to help them to have money at that point because they lived longer than they were expected to well back then that was 19 there that was 65 years old today it's 88 years old 78 years old you know it, it's a completely different story and so They've got they've got some stuff that they've got to solve on the on the social security front and trying to get something uh, solved through the federal government is, is never easy. Mm-hmm. But the reality is they're going to have to solve it. Now, does that mean they're going to take away the, the benefit completely? I don't believe that they will. Right. But I do believe that the age that you expect to take Social Security is going to continue to get pushed further and further, further back right? Like that end zone <laughs> keeps mm-hmm. getting pushed further and further back. And so if we're not planning for our own retirement, we're we're going to find ourselves potentially in a, in a world of hurt. And, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I see it in my own personal circumstances with my parents, right? They didn't have the ability to save. They didn't have a 401k plan. They were entrepreneurs. They didn't understand all these sorts of things. They thought mm-hmm. social security was going to be enough and Unfortunately, my dad's body broke down and they were forced to retire earlier than expected, which meant taking social security early, which meant it was a lower benefit, which meant, I mean, there was just so many other things that went into that. And so here they are in retirement and really just kind of getting by barely because they didn't, they didn't understand what their personal responsibility was to go out and save on their own.
2: And and that's, you know, you hit on a very um, key point and you know, I'm a huge advocate of uh, small businesses and uh, we talk to small businesses all the time. Um, and I grew up with friends that had, you know the, the, like a little plumbing family business and everything else. And a lot of times these small business owners, they're pouring everything and then some into their business. And they oftentimes, you know, and I think it's they're, they're taking care of their their employees, they're you know taking care of their team and they're doing um, there's a huge, tremendous benefit to society. Uh, for the work that they're doing, but oftentimes they struggle financially and they're not thinking about, you know, they're thinking about making, making a payroll next week. They're not thinking about how much can I set aside in my retirement plan. And so I'd say that as a, you know, from kind of looking at, and again, this is uh, this is Dan's research, so don't quote it, <laughs> but um, in talking to a lot of these small business um, entrepreneurs, they're probably less prepared than than many others that are making comparable, uh, you know, incomes. And it's because they view their business as, you know, that's their retirement. And and some of the time that's possible, other times it's not. Like you mentioned um, in your, you know, your call to action, if you're thinking about selling your business, uh, there's a lot that goes into that. And a lot of uh, employers don't realize, or small business owners don't realize that maybe the way they've been doing their, you know, their tax accounting and some of these other things are going to impact the valuation that they have uh, when they go to sell that business and something that they thought maybe they could sell for a couple million dollars, they end up selling for a couple hundred thousand dollars um, because they weren't adequately prepared for that. Uh, So I'm a big believer in, I think it's important for those small business owners, even if they have a business and they think that it's going to be a cash cow um, and they have an idea of a transition plan and everything else, you know, 401k is a, a great or, or just any sort of a retirement plan. It's a good backup plan. And and I view social security the same way. It's, I'm going to do everything I can to prepare, And if there's social security, great, that's going to be like, you know, it's going to be like my golfing money or whatever. It's just something I'm going to have fun with. But I know I've got to, I've got to take care of this on my own. I think that's why even a lot of entrepreneurs that are entrepreneurs are driven from that sense of independence. Um, and And so it's important that they Build that into their financial lives as well. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. And you know, it's when we talk
1: to our business owners, right? Because you you hit the nail on the head. They're pouring everything into their business. They view that as their retirement plan, right? And sometimes they don't fully understand it. And so we we talk to them about the importance of taking some chips off the table. Let's transfer some of your of your uh, net worth from your business balance sheet to your personal balance sheet. Right. And so that can be done through a 401k. It can be done through other other means as well. But it's just this is built for us. We need to we need to get the education out there. And part of the problem you mentioned earlier is these these larger organizations that are out there, you know, that that are these record keepers and set up these plans. They're not looking for the startup plan. Right, they don't. They want to be. They want to be picking up plans that have ten million dollars or more in them, not setting up a brand new plan that this year is going to put twenty thousand dollars total into it, yeah. and next year it's going to have fifty thousand. And you know, it that's not that's not their bread and butter. And so it's your technology that allows an advisor and a record keeper and an investment company to do that profitably and provide mm-hmm. a really important service to these employees that really need it and business owners.
2: And and to clarify too, the industry as a whole, the the professionals that I um, talk to and engage with, um, even in these large organizations, they're passionate about what they do. And it's not that they don't want to help these small businesses, it's that they can't. It's that they don't have the levels of automation. The unit economics don't support these small businesses. And I know it's something that they struggle with and it's something they are thinking about more. Um, we find at a lot of these national conferences there's a lot more discussion around hey how do we help these smaller businesses because there's also um you know a lot of what we find a lot of minorities are working for um, smaller businesses and so they're automatically at a disadvantage if those small businesses don't have um, the uptake rates of for 401ks that a large corporation does um, and so there's a lot of consequences that extend beyond just you know an owner being able to sock away some money for his own retirement um it, you know it's it's a It's a very critical part of the social fabric, um, but that's impaired. You know, but then we have to make sure everybody has access to it. Yeah, definitely a
1: good catch. I shouldn't have said that they didn't want to.
2: (laughs) Well, I think I said that first. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the marketplace is like we don't want those small plans, but um, you know, I want to make sure that people understand it's not not because there's some big evil bankers. I'm sure there are some there, but it's it's for the most part the unit economics simply don't support it. All right. So let's talk a
1: little bit more about past successes and failures. And I'll, I'll give you the choices to, you know, what you want to start with. But I, I think that a lot of our listeners, I mean, our audience is made up of small business owners. And so they they learn quite a bit from hearing about your experiences, both negative and positive. So maybe choose, you know, one failure and one success that, that you could share with us or in our, in our audience that they would benefit from.
2: I think a lot of the businesses I've been involved in um, oftentimes revolve around an idea that's oftentimes very separate from like what it is I love to do. And, and by that, you know, my first business was in productions and marketing. Um, I was largely freelance, and I would take uh, contracts to produce um, TV shows or do marketing, um, a number of different things. And I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, I kind of, I, I burned out on the creative side of things. And that was really, you know, the thing I was passionate most about was the creative aspects. Um, and it was that just because I was working for clients, um, I'm giving up a significant portion of kind of that that creative license to do things the way that Dan wants to do things. It's not always better. Um, in fact, I'd argue many times, it's uh, most of the time it's not, it's just the way that I want to do things. And there's many ways to do things. And... I, you know, I think I came to a realization that the only way I can scale this is to build more hours, but there's only so many hours in a day. Um, and so I hire a team, but at the end of the day, I'm always trading time for money. And if it's not my time, it's someone else's time, and it's not easily scalable. I enjoyed it, but I think the thing that ultimately caused me to kind of walk away from that that endeavor in life was uh, really in 2008 um, when we had kind of the, the financial crisis and you know, it affected builders significantly. And at the time I was producing a TV show where the clients were, most of them that paid for the show were, were builders uh, and building related, you know, products and, and uh, you know, large um, suppliers and distribution sponsors. And so when, you know, I walked away from that, not only had I, you know, been going without six months of income trying to make that show work for the client, but on top of that, i had incurred some credit card debt. And so I was in a really, really bad spot. And you know, I think that was the the straw that broke the camel's back. To where the only way I made it through was by selling off all of my equipment. Um, you know, we had two vehicles at the time. We sold the the one that would fetch the most and kept this uh, you know little little kind of inexpensive uh, car. And you know, we were living off of um, savings and you know food that we had set aside, and a number of other things, and um, and again, it's just—I think more than anything—it's a testament to uh, my wife and the fact that um, she persevered through that. You know, she didn't question me for one minute. But it was a really challenging time for me because, as a a father, you know, uh, an entrepreneur, and everything else, in many ways, I felt like a failure because my job was to support them, and here we are on the verge of bankruptcy. And I felt like at that point, too much of it was outside of my control. I'm I'm sure there are things that I I could have done differently to make sure that I wasn't in that situation. But at the same time, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because I feel it was a very pivotal moment for me and the way I approached risk and the way I thought about um, business and and economics uh, personally uh, going forward was based off of that experience. Um, It was extremely challenging for a couple of years. Um, I mean, you know, I was working Days, nights, weekends. I remember, you know, I was uh, that that one, you know, year in particular, I think I was gone. I want to say it was like 40 weekends uh, out of that entire year. So I barely saw my family for a good two years, just I kind of had to pivot. Um, And at that point, I moved more into the product space because I thought, hey, you know, and and for me, the light bulb moment was, um, you know, when I was doing the video production things, I always had a couple side hustles. And one of those was selling um, these <laughs> these mouse pads that I designed on eBay. Um, what I did as a creative, I you know I knew it was important to know all the keyboard shortcuts to the different programs that I use, so I put that on a mouse pad and sold those. Um, and I also would do other. I, I thought uh, um, exploded view diagrams. So like engineering d- documents are really cool. Just you know I'm kind of a, a nerd that way. So I put those on there, and I did some firearms. And, you know, some customers came back and said, hey, this is really cool, but it's not big enough for for me to clean my gun on. Um, And that was kind of the birth of, you know, my first, you know, real product business was a a company called TechMat. Um, And it was essentially uh, a large, you know, mouse pad, if you will, that showed you how to disassemble and reassemble your firearms so you could be safe. And it was done properly and it wasn't a big chore. Um, And to be honest, at the time, I didn't even own a single gun. So it wasn't like I had, you know, it was a deep passion for me. You know it is something that uh you know i do enjoy that industry i think there's a lot of really great people um in the industry you know the firearms and, and the shooting sports industry uh so i really enjoyed um my time there but that was that was kind of my first product business i sold that a couple of years ago um had a you know had a decent exit you know that that i would say is probably the biggest success and i learned a lot from that that led me to launch several other brands um where you know this TechMat was largely wholesale, so ninety percent of my revenue was selling to big box retailers, Cabela's, Bass Pro, um, you know those types of outfits, and a small amount was being sold direct retail. And I like this idea of direct commerce because I saw that as a very effective way of delivering value at a, at a much lower cost. And so um, I launched a couple of direct consumer brands where you know we kind of cut out the you know the all the middlemen um, in an effort to build a better product at a better price. Um, So those were, you know, and the way that I approached business, I think from that experience in in 2008 was I would always try to analyze the reason I like products is um, even if I made a bad, you know, a bad, uh, you know, designed a product poorly, or I I estimated the market wrong and ended up with a product that was kind of a dud. um, I still had something and, you know, I knew that, Hey, I bought it for this price. I could probably liquidate it for that price or maybe, you know, 70 cents on the dollar. So there's a way of mitigating the downside. And the way that I approach future businesses was, how do I mitigate um, my exposure to risk while maximizing the possible returns? So the biggest idea that I can approach while still making sure that if it goes south, I'm not going to be exposed to as much risk or as much fallout as as what the opportunity itself poses, um, and and products are a great way to do that, just because you know you don't you don't have to take a big risk. So I, I'd say those are the biggest experiences that I learned. You know, the food truck, <laughs> it was a failure just because uh, it was a it was a crazy idea. We hired somebody that was a really good friend, be um, we very passionate about food, always wanted to do a food truck, but had no business experience. And my brother and I were way too busy to get involved in it. And so, you know, I kind of learned some lessons there about management and hiring and everything else. But apart from that, you know, a lot of the the failures I've had have not been kind of at the large, you know, business operational level. It's been product failures. It's been, you know, marketing failures and and other things that have maybe made it so I I didn't have quite the, the financial gain that I would have had I not made those mistakes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we all make mistakes along the way, and sometimes
2: they end up being big mistakes,
1: and sometimes they end up being little mistakes that we can that we can recover from. But probably the most important thing that you said there that at least resonated with me. I don't know that everybody else would would hear it the same way that I did. But having a supportive somebody, right? So spouse, significant other, whoever it is in your life uh, that is supportive as an entrepreneur, especially. If you're taking some big risks and you know making some big bets on certain things, is crucial. She's going to deal with the consequences, whether or not she wants to, and she's got to be okay with that. And you know, I can speak to the same thing on my side of, of things. You know, I've I've been doing what I do here on the financial planning side for uh, you know 22 years now, but I've almost always had some sort of a side business in addition to the financial planning business and one of them was real estate related in 2000 well two of them really were were real estate related in 2008 when that market crashed it was significant and mm-hmm. it was it was major losses and put us in a pretty tough spot um you know obviously i still had some some revenue from what i do here in my main business but um we <laughs> we were in a pretty tough spot and you know I wouldn't say that, and, and your wife probably wasn't this way either. You know, she probably thought it, she maybe never vocalized it to you. Um, and my wife was kind of the same way. I mean, she, you could see it in her face. She was frustrated. It put us all, you know, in a tough spot, but it it didn't change the way she felt about me
2: and her belief in me going forward. Yeah. And I, I think more than anything, it's not necessarily, it's the questions or, um, it's the belief like you know when a lot of the time you're facing these big challenges you're you've got an idea and you're trying to sell it to somebody and you're getting rejected over and over and over again when you can come home at night and there's somebody that believes in you no matter what like that's invaluable it really is and you know you've got to find who that is if it's uh you know a really good friend a business partner um your spouse um, that like it, you know i know that a very significant, you know, a lot of the the reason I've been able to get to where I have is because of her and because of that belief in me, um, that when she had every reason to doubt me, she didn't. Uh, and, and I think that is, you know, probably one, of, I'd say one of my keys to, to success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can, I can definitely echo that in,
1: in my own life as well. I just, you know, I, I had some pretty important mentors in my life that knew both me and my wife um, before we got married, and and it, you know, luckily for me, they told her the same thing or a similar thing. They they you know they said, "He's one of my favorite people. You're going to be very you know grateful to be married to him." What they told me was, "Man, you really you really married up like several states. <laughs> so don't screw this up, you know." Yeah, feel the same. Yeah, so, sounds like the same on your side. So, all right, well, we're coming to the end here. So I want to give you an opportunity just at the end, you know, for a business owner that's listening that needs to set up a 401k or an investment advisor that, you know, is
2: looking for a better solution. How do they track you down? Easiest way is through, find me on LinkedIn, uh, Daniel Beck. I think if you just search for Daniel uh, Beck 401go, you'll find me. Um, so, So that's one way to connect with me. Um, but then also uh, my email address is dan at 401go.com. And I think one of the best things, one of the best parts of my day is talking to small business owners. Um, I see a ton of compassion as they set up these 401k plans. Um, they treat their team like family and I'm I'm lucky to be a part of that. So please reach out. And for uh, you know financial advisors, you know, we can't do it. We, we've got to have that human element and there's no technology that's going to be able to deliver that or replace it. Uh, so please, you know, reach out. Let's find a way to uh, to make this work. Um, you can also go to 401go.com, uh, learn more about what we do and and find ways to contact us there.
1: Awesome. Well, we I really appreciated the conversation. We appreciated having you come on the show and, and talk about, you know, a really important topic in in our society. So I'm, I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation and have you on the show today.
2: Thank you. It was awesome to be here. And I think you're the perfect person to discuss these things with. Most people uh, don't know 401 case nearly as well as you do. <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: Thanks again for being here.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin Landon and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.